First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to First City Focus. I'm your host, Nicole Carey. On this episode, the city of Vincent's has been very busy this past year, and the next year is already shaping up. We'll find out what city officials are working on. Dave Hunter has been the voice of the VU Trailblazer men's basketball team for 41 seasons now. But did you know he also served our country as a member of the White House communications team? We have a special look at his time in the nation's capital. And the Davies County Historical Museum is working on making history accessible to all. We'll find out exactly how. We have these stories and more right now on First City Focus. Two thousand twenty two has been a busy year for the city of Vincennes, and two thousand twenty three is promising continued progress. From major street projects, implementing the HELP initiative, a new app, and more, City Hall has been busy with efforts to move Vincennes forward. Here to discuss all the happenings is Mayor Joe Yoakum and City Engineer John Sprague. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having us. Um, so it has been a busy year for the city of Vincennes. And probably the most talked about project has been the Main Street project. Um, it's been in the works for a while. Work is, is going strong. So where are we at right now with that project? Actually, you know, that the, the Main Street project started a few years ago. We did mm -hmm. phase one, and now we are doing phase two and three. And um, in all honesty, it was supposed to be finished in October. But because of utility problems, uh, it won't be completed until next spring. But right now, um, John will tell you that you know progress is we're moving forward, and next spring we'll do the final paving and finally wrap that project up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what are some of the major hurdles um, that you guys have faced with this project? The biggest thing, like the mayor said, was the utility delays. Uh, we were supposed to be clear of utilities by June first, um, and we actually weren't clear until the end of October. And we we're actually supposed to be finished with the project October twenty-first. Mm -hmm. So. Even beyond the actual completion date, we still had utilities in the way. So um, that, and we had a, a lot of credit to Kearns Excavating and their crews. Um, they were out there working around them every step that they could. If there was a utility inlet, if there was an inlet that could be installed, they put it in. And then if there, if there was something in the way, they would install pipe right up to it. And then the minute that the utility was clear, they'd get right back in there and, and put in that inlet. So. Um, it was an uphill battle for sure, but uh, they've done a really good job staying on top of everything they could. Um, and I know, uh, especially for folks who live out that way, it's been a major That's, inconvenience. Mm -hmm. But once it's done, right. what do you think the lasting impact is going to be on the, on the infrastructure improvements out in that direction? Um, not only improvements with the roadway, but there'll be uh, improvements with safety and just overall improvement in the whole area. And I appreciate the residents out there. I know this has been a big, big challenge for them. And uh, they've all been you know, working with us really well. And uh, But in the end, we'll have this a, a great project completed. And hopefully, they'll like what they see You know, with the, the, the drainage and the curbs and sidewalks and lighting. And so 
Okay. Um, of course, now comes the Washington Avenue project mm -hmm. um, that's getting ready to ramp up. What do you think you've learned from the Main Street project that's helped you maybe get ahead of a few things for Washington Avenue? Um, we've kind of gotten a, a little bit of a head start on this one. So that's kind of the biggest thing we learned is time is your friend. So um, we're getting started as soon as we possibly can. Uh, we got right away done a lot more quickly. Uh, we're already clear for right away. So um, we could be issuing notes to proceed to some of these utilities as early as next week. Um, so uh, that's been the, the name of the game is get ahead and get everything going as quick as, quick as we can because just because they say they're going to take 60 days and they only need 60 days, that's not the case. So we want to give them as much time as possible to get out in front of it. For those that may not be familiar with the Washington <laughs> Avenue project, what kind of improvements are we going to see? A lot of it is the same, the same complete streets, typical section that we've been using on all our projects from 2nd Street to 2nd and Black, all the Main Street phases, uh, complete new pavement all the way down to the subgrade, curb and gutter, storm sewer, um, sidewalks, lighting, bike lanes, those are the critical components that we try and hit in all our projects, and this one is no exception, so it'll look just like that. What kind of closures are we going to expect to see then, and do you know about when um, for this project? Right, so um, when we originally scoped out the project, we were going to do it in one big fell swoop, but seeing the delays that we had with Main Street, we've kind of shifted gears a little bit, and we've broken it into three sections. Um, Section one going from Emerson to Niblack, section two from Niblack to the bridge over Kelso Creek, and section three from that bridge out to Bell Crossing. And that's going to enable us to maintain more continued traffic in the sections that aren't being worked on so that people coming in from out of town can get through either to Niblack or Bell Crossing. And then um, the Heights residents, we can get them in, in and out as soon as we finish that section. So we're looking right now to get two two phases done in 2023, and then the third section done in 2024. Um, we'll be starting in the middle section uh, at Kelso Creek and working back towards Niblack, and then Niblack back towards Emerson Avenue as well. Okay. And of course, you know, we have Greg Park. It's right there. Um, what, what can we see then for park access? You will probably see uh, interest being off of Niblack, and you'll exit back on Niblack. It'll just be, you'll probably run through there the wrong direction, mm -hmm. uh, just during this project. Um, and you know, this project, I know it's, it's big inconvenience for the residents, but again, it's gonna be a major improvement for that area. But this also uh, will involve high school football, mm -hmm. be football season while we're doing some of this construction. So, but we're working with everybody to make sure that uh, this goes as smooth, as smooth as it can go. Yeah. We've had a lot of really good communication with the school corporation on mm -hmm. their parking lot, on the bus access, on, on the football field. So a lot of communication with school corporation on this one. It'll and, be worth it once it's done. Right. And once this is done, there'll be sidewalks all the way out to Bell Cross. And that'll be nice, you know, through the park. There's no sidewalk there. We'll have two new crosswalks mm -hmm. into the park from the Heights area. Uh, so when it's complete, it'll be, it'll be really, really nice. Uh, it's just the hassle of getting to that point. Right. But the good thing with this project is up in the, the Heights area, they have other routes out of that area. Mm -hmm. uh, this isn't their only route out. So hopefully it won't be as painful, but. Yeah, um, how does it feel? I mean, this two pretty big projects when we consider uh, the streets in Vincennes hasn't seen a project like this in a long time and now right. we're doing two in a row. Right. Um, how does it feel to be able to say that we're getting this done? It is, uh, 
it's a good feeling, really. It's uh, and you know we this is uh, grant dollars for the NDOT. Mm -hmm. uh, having a city engineer on staff really really helps with uh, putting these projects together and applying for those dollars, and then you know getting the award from the state is a very appreciative. Mm -hmm. And again, this is just going to be a major improvement for that. And then here in a few years, not too many years, there'll be the second phase of Washington Avenue, which will go from St. Clair to Emerson. Right. So. Uh, Okay. Um, and speaking of funding sources, um, we've uh, the city of Vincennes has undertaken the HELP initiative um, to help uh, spend the last of the COVID uh, dollars. Um, what's it been like being a part of this program uh, for the city? Um, I'm really excited about it. This is kind of like a mini Stellar, and if you remember, we've mm -hmm. applied for Stellar a couple of times, but this is going to take, give us the opportunity to take about 1.1 to 1.2 million of our ARPA dollars and add another million to it from the state to get uh, quality of life projects done and, and different things. So um, I'm really excited. We've been doing co uh, community conversations and those will, those will keep going on. But next year we should see projects come out of this and uh, mm -hmm. see some improvements made. Um, we had Jamie Dugan on yes. a couple of episodes ago and, and she's leading up this initiative for the city. Um, how do you feel the lasting impact will be from the information that's being gathered, whether we see the project next year or further right. down the road. Right, and I think I think it'll be a great lasting impact because the, the the projects that are coming out of this are coming from the public. It isn't myself or the council or somebody sitting around saying, hey, let's just do this project. We are listening to the public and that's what these projects will come from is they're, uh, what they think we should be doing to improve quality of life and mm -hmm. make a Vincennes a better place. Um, we have a change coming up in the street department. Bryce Anderson is retiring. Um, what? How's the transition going to go um, here in January? It is going really, really, really well. Uh, Bryce is, I'm the third mayor he's served under, mm -hmm. so Bryce has been there a while and has done an amazing job. I you know, can't say enough about him. But uh, Jeff Wood will step up and take over his spot, and they've already been working together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, We've got some weather they're looking at here coming up that, yeah. They've been working all together. So Jeff's going to do an amazing job, too. Uh, I just hate to see Bryce go, but also I'm excited for him that he's going to retire. That's right. Mm -hmm. yep. um, the city uh, released a new app. Um, we're, we're in the current day and age where it seems that there's an app right. for everything. Yeah. The city now has an app. What kind of feedback have you gotten from uh, your constituents? We've really got a, a lot of good feedback. And, and if you haven't downloaded the app, I encourage you to do so because there's a lot of information on there. Uh, like these projects we we're just talking about, there is a construction uh, thing, button you can click on and hit J John will keep you updated on what's going on with those projects. But also there's a community calendar on there mm -hmm. and we put all community events on there if we're aware of them. Uh, uh, so it's, that's a really nice feature to find out, see what everything that's going on in the community. Um, and then with the winter weather, uh, you can get on there and you can see all the, the snow routes that are mm -hmm. on there and we can push out notifications if need be. Uh, we'll try to limit that. We don't want to Right. Overdo it and everybody think, you know what, I'm going to turn this app off. They get sent out too much information. <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and the users can select what kind of notifications Absolutely. they want to receive. Absolutely. So that's and great. with that app, you can report issues in the city. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll be able to take a picture and send it to us and it will give us the location. As you look ahead to 2023, um, what are you most excited about with the city? 
probably the Washington Avenue project. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be huge, as well as the help. The help is, I'm really, really excited about that because we'll get to see a lot of projects come out of that, whether it be in the parks or whatever. Uh, and just the fact that it's the public stepping up and telling us what they think we need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here and updating us on everything going on in Vincennes. You can find out more information about the city of Vincennes on our website, vincennespbs.org. Well, he's been a broadcast legend in our area for more than 50 years. Dave Hunter was born and raised in Bicknell, has raised his family here in Knox County, and is known as the voice of the Vincennes University Trailblazers. In our first of a two-part series, Hunter Van Houten takes a trip down memory lane with our friend and fellow broadcaster to tell a story you might not be familiar with, one that involves Dave Hunter's service to our country and the start of his career involving the White House and our 36th president. The bounds to Vincennes in front of the Lakeland bench. Here's Caleb, lays the ball into Bonsuit. You may recognize the signature sound of Dave Hunter. That's because he's been the voice of the Vincennes University Trailblazers men's basketball team for the last 41 years. But what you might not be familiar with is the fact that he also served in the White House while President Lyndon B. Johnson was in office. This is a story of how a simple man from Bicknell, Indiana, found himself front and center in the Oval Office. This story starts back in the early 60s when Hunter was working as an assistant manager at a store in Spencer, Indiana. Hunter failed his first physical, but wouldn't let that stop him from serving his country. After filling out paperwork at the recruiter's office and passing his second physical, Hunter went to talk to the draft board committee to see where he was on the list. I went down to uh, downtown to the draft board and I asked that, well, you know, I'd like, like to see where I am on the list to be drafted. And he said, well, I can't, probably, probably can't tell you for sure, but I can look and see. And he opens the book and he goes, oh, he says, you're the next guy we're going to draft. Once Hunter knew he was in fact being drafted, he went back to the local recruiter to select a field that would help him later in life. That's when he decided to follow stenography. Knowing that he was a great typist, Hunter felt he would do fine as a secretary for officers. Little did he know that the White House would soon come calling. Only a month into his training at Fort Harrison, Hunter was selected to interview for a job. He just didn't know what job it was quite yet. And he said, have you ever been arrested? And I said, well, no, I said, uh, never been arrested. Have you ever had a traffic ticket? And I said, well, yeah, one uh, last year for $20. It was costing. And he said, well, if it had been $25, you wouldn't be eligible. I mean, this is the hypersensitive as far as the security situation. Then he said, well, we're, we're interviewing you for a very sensitive assignment, you know, that could involve the president of the United States. And he said, would you be interested? <laughs> yeah, I said, absolutely, you know. Over the next year of training, Hunter turned down two other job offers, one at West Point and the other in Germany. Finally, in 1965, Hunter arrived in the nation's capital to begin his new job with the newly formed White House Communications Agency. The transition from the Kennedy to the Johnson presidency carried many changes, and that brought an opportunity that was just right for Hunter. JFK never used a teleprompter, but it was a newer practice that LBJ fully embraced. The mission grew because he was using teleprompters for almost all of his speeches, and sometimes more than one in a day. They thought they could fill that need by using military people to type the speeches, 
to actually run the teleprompter system, set them up, and so forth and so on. So the very fact that the President Kennedy got assassinated turned out, as fate turned out, led me to actually be chosen to go to the White House to, to work uh, for, the, for the President. Hunter fondly remembers the time he spent inside the iconic White House. Meeting LBJ was something he says he won't ever forget, which happened after just one week on the job. We set the equipment up and we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting all afternoon. And so finally, finally, the office door, the Oval Office door opened and he walked by the cabinet room and he came back and looked in and opened the door and said, what are you guys doing? And somebody said, well, Mr. President, we're waiting for you to do this, whatever it was, public service announcement. And he said, blankety, blankety, blank. I told, I told Marvin, his assistant, Marvin Watson, I wasn't going to do that today. He said, hell, let's do it. So, so he sat down, he read it in one take and got up and left. And I, of course, I'm in shock because I'm as close to the President of the United States as I am to you during this interview. You know, and here's a guy from Bicknell, now in the presidency, the most powerful person in the world. And that was kind of a, like a rude awakening, like I'm really here. You know, I am really, I'm really in the middle of, of something big. Following his time at the White House, Hunter packed up, including his newly learned professional skills and experience, and returned home to Knox County, where he began the next chapter of his life. The White House had helped him find his true passion, which was broadcasting. I went back to what I did before. I worked for Tressler's, which was a variety store company, uh, before I went to the service. I worked for them for four years, but I wanted to get into to broadcasting. So I, again, I, I quit and got a job in broadcasting, barely enough to, to buy uh, ramen noodles on. And my wife was expecting our first child at the time, so it was kind of a tough time. Um, and I got, you know, paid $95 a week for my airtime and then $10 to do a basketball game. And so that's kind of where I started out, you know, from, from there. Hunter has now turned his humble beginnings into over 50 years of sports broadcasting experience. For First City Focus, I'm Hunter Van Houten. Coming up on the next episode of First City Focus, we'll share part two of this series as we take a look at Dave Hunter's career covering the VU men's basketball team for what is now 41 seasons. The Davies County Historical Society Museum is working to complete a major project, and it's all in the effort of making the museum more accessible. It's called the Access to History Project. News Director Shalina Barker explains how museum volunteers are breathing new life into an old facility. Every county has a story, and it's stories that the Davies County Historical Society is dedicated to preserving. The Historical Society archives Davies County's 200-year history through the Davies County Historical Society Museum. Our job here is to preserve, protect, and promote that history so people can share in those stories, to go back and study it and research uh, these people and these churches and these schools, uh, these businesses that existed. In you can find the museum in the heart of downtown Washington, and if you take a few steps inside, you'll see it's undergoing a few changes. Museum officials are renovating the first floor of the museum as part of the Access to History project. Crews are modernizing what used to be a storefront connected to the museum. If it seems odd that a museum would have a store connected to it, well, volunteer Bruce Smith says there's a reason for that. And it was the result of a bequest made by a gentleman by the name of Joseph Cruz. He was a mason. 
and he passed away at an early age, about 35 or 36, and in his will, he, he left and bequested to the uh, Masons real estate and land here in Washington, and he specified in his will that that land was to be sold and used to construct the Masonic Temple or Lodge here at 212 East Main Street. In addition to leaving the land to fund the construction of this temple, he also specified that the ground floor of the lodge, what I call the east wing and the west wing, both of which had about 2,100 square feet, was to be used exclusively for retail merchants, to rent to retail merchants. And that was to provide an income flow for the Masons to maintain and, and pay their expenses. And so the Masonic Temple was constructed in 1868, and the Davies County Historical Society took over the lodge in 2005 with plans to put a museum in place. When they did, they discovered a major hurdle. All of their exhibits were on the second, third, and fourth floors, which meant visitors had to hike up a very large, very grand staircase, which is hard for many people to navigate. And you can see here what I've always called the grand staircase, and it is, as, it is epic. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a hike up those stairways, and that only gets you to the second floor. If you want to go to the third and fourth floors, there's another set of stairways uh, that you have to negotiate. When the last retailer decided they no longer wanted to use the storefront, museum officials decided to move some of their exhibits downstairs. But before that could happen, major renovations needed to take place, including replacing ceiling panels, flooring, and installing a new entryway. This is original construction. It was the way it was built in 1868. So in order to create this uh, new entryway, we had to, we, they had to, the contractors had to come in and knock a hole in this wall, you know, of a 160-year-old building. So uh, uh, that was a, a, quite a project. The Access to History project is nearing completion, but that hasn't come without a few problems, including the supply chain shortage many industries are dealing with. The delay means the original price tag for the project of $350,000 has increased by around $100,000. However, it's a price Smith says is worth it to be able to better tell Davies County's history. So each one of those artifacts, each one of those items uh, have a story to tell. And, and some of those stories are, are fascinating. So our mission here at the museum is, is, is to preserve, protect, and, and, and promote that history and all these incredible stories. The first floor is expected to be completed by April of next year. Until then, volunteers at the Davies County Historical Society Museum will continue to preserve these walls, all in the hopes of remembering Davies County's history. For First City Focus, I'm Shalina Barker. The Davies County Historical Society Museum is open to the public Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And now for our final focus. It's a tribute that quietly started in 1992, but finally grew national attention in 2005 when an iconic image of Christmas wreaths on the headstones at Arlington National Cemetery went viral throughout social media. Wreaths Across America was founded in 2007 and since then has grown to cover areas across the country, including right here in the Knox County area. Each December, through generous donations and several volunteers, 
Graves of our area veterans are donned with Christmas wreath, all in the mission to remember, honor, and teach. Can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? We are here to remember the fallen, honor those that serve and their families and teach the next generation the value of freedom. Many of us have decorated our homes inside and out this Christmas season. It is only fitting that we decorate the resting place of those who have fought and died for us. We need to remember and honor those who are no longer with us and those still with us. Between cemeteries in Vincennes, Bruceville, Bicknell, Wheatland, and Lawrenceville, Illinois, more than 3,000 wreaths have been laid on veteran graves. The wreaths will remain on the graves until Saturday, January 14th. And that's all for this edition of First City Focus. For everyone here at Vincennes PBS, I'm Nicole Carey. Join us again next week. First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you.